There is a longing within all of us for freedom, to get out in the open, away from the noise and fears and burdens that hold us captive, to breathe deeply and hear clearly, and to know that we are alive. Created in the image of God, our Creator God wants to meet with us, to bring us into greater freedom, to bring us to places where we can be still and know that He is God. As with all things worthwhile, there's a practice and a rhythm to this meeting. Transformation takes time, it takes effort, it is work, but the most enjoyable type of work. The practices of our spiritual life anchor us and carry us forward. They center us as we navigate the storms of life. When we journey into the great expanse of God's love for us, we are transformed by the rhythms of His grace. Thank you. I'd like to start specifically where we started 13 weeks ago with our mission statement. Not our mission and our vision statement, our mission statement. Our mission statement is this. It is to glorify God by enabling people of all ages to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. This is why we think we are here. This is why we gather together. But then I asked another question after I mentioned that so long ago. How? How do we, how do you, a normal person, a stay-at-home mom or dad, a lawyer, a doctor, a nurse, a teacher, a carpenter, you fill in the blank, how do we, doing everyday life, become fully devoted? How do we walk? How do we follow Jesus? How do we get close to Jesus? How do we become like Jesus? How do we become conformed to Jesus? Well, as we shared all summer long, we have to look at the ultimate example of what it looks like to walk with God himself. And that, of course, is Jesus. See, we want to become like the person that did it perfectly in the first place. And as I shared 13 weeks ago, we need a reorientation in the church. See, Jesus is not only our Savior in this church and all churches that love Christ. Jesus is not only Lord, meaning God and our willing King. Jesus also is our model. See, Jesus modeled for us what it looked like to be a fully devoted follower of God. And then we had to struggle with another question right at the beginning of this whole series. Well, is that even possible? How in the world do you expect me to live like Jesus? I mean, he's God in flesh. And have you seen my thoughts? Have you seen my life? I mean, there, there is no way that I'm really going to follow him. He can't be this model. But then we read the scriptures very carefully. And we learned that though Jesus was fully God, always has been, is, and always will be. When he was on earth, according to the book of Philippians, he chose not to use the advantages of being God. He did not do ministry out of his divinity. He showed us what it looks like to live under God the Father's will, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And since that was the model he used, it's now given to us too. The Holy Spirit was given 
to lead and empower Jesus to do God the Father's will. Right after the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism, that's when his ministry started. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we again began to learn that Jesus would have not been able to teach or cast out demons or heal because he chose to limit himself. Then it struck us a few years ago, oh, are you saying that since the Spirit was on Jesus to empower him and lead him, he used spiritual gifts? Of course he used spiritual gifts because he did nothing while he was on earth out of his deity. He only did what the Father wanted under the leading of the Spirit. And so since that is true, it can be true for us. Remember the verses out of John 15, 19? Jesus, God in flesh, says these very strange things. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. And then in John 14, 12, he turned around and said things to that generation of followers and every generation since. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Jesus explicitly says, I do nothing except what I see my Father doing. And what the Father tells me to do, that's what I end up doing. And then we asked another question. Well, how did Jesus, since he wasn't using the privilege of deity, hear and see what God was calling him to do? And the answer is spiritual practices. And so as we've been learning over the last few years in our church, this whole summer and really beyond that, the same Holy Spirit, catch this, that was upon Jesus Christ is on you if you're a Christian today. And if the spiritual gifts are the guaranteed place of power to serve the church in the world as Jesus used them, then if you are a Christian here this morning, the spiritual disciplines or the spiritual practices are the guaranteed place of transformation to become like Christ and hear what God is asking you to do. Spiritual practices, as we've learned all summer, do not make you a Christian. Spiritual practices do not get you a relationship with God. They do not impress God, but they are the very actions or vehicles that place us back into his presence. So as the video said, we can be transformed and we can hear what God is asking us to do in this season. They bring health to the relationship we're already in because of the work of Jesus. They provide an ongoing dynamic experience in our static positional reality as Christians. We started with a quotation 13 weeks ago from Dallas Willard, who wrote, My central claim is that we become like Christ by doing one thing, following him in his overall style of life he chose for himself. And then he said, well, what activities did Jesus practice? Well, solitude, he writes, and silence, prayer, simple, sacrificial living, intensive study, meditation on God's word and God's world or ways, and service to others. You want to become like Jesus? Beyond accepting him, we have to walk in the rhythm that Jesus did with the Father. And then we found another definition that helped us all summer long. And here it is. He says, the disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so he can transform us. These guaranteed places of transformation happen when we encounter the one behind the practice. 
Remember that word transformation is a strong word. It's a consuming word. There's no middle ground in this word. Transformation means alter, change, revolution, renovate, make us over, keep converting us. When we say that we want to have an ongoing encounter with the living God after we've met him through Jesus, through using the disciplines that Jesus did, when you walk into the presence of a holy God, you will be transformed. You cannot meet God and not be changed. And so these practices place us in a new rhythm continually in his presence because if we don't build a rhythm with him, the world will give us a different rhythm that will choke God's work out of our life. We also chose one other thing for the whole summer. We chose the great words of Jesus because they summarize the whole heart of this series. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me. Jesus said this, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, say it loud again, what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And as I've preached this multiple times, and so has other pastors, let us again be reminded of what's happening here. Jesus comes and says, do you want rest at the core of who you are? The real rest the world is desperate for will never come when you yoke yourself to yourself, when you yoke yourself to family, education, sexuality, politics. You fill in the blank. Every person is yoked, but if you take my yoke on, you will find rest. Implied in the idea of yoke, this idea that a yoke is put over animals' backs to direct them down a field, Jesus says, if you take my yoke, here is the difference. I am always gentle, and I am always humble. He would ask us today, are you always gentle? Are you always humble? Do you always have things right? Can you lead yourself well? And if any of us were honest, we'd say, no, no, I can't lead myself well. But you, Jesus, since you are God in flesh, you could lead me well. So I want your yoke, not my yoke. I want you because you're always gentle, always humble. And when you lead me, that slavery is the greatest place of freedom. I want Jesus as my master because I want rest. So at the heart of this, Jesus begins to say, okay, if you want To know God like I knew God. I was yoked to the Father perfectly, so you be yoked to me like I was yoked to him. And then he says, well, what makes up part of these yokes? This yoke, well, part of it is the practices. So for 11 weeks as a church, we systematically walk through all of these things. We looked at confession and prayer and intercession and simplicity, worship, fasting, biblical secrecy, celibacy, Service, solitude, silence, celebration, and study. So much ground has been covered this summer. So much invitation has been given. So much guaranteed freedom has been offered if we would choose his yoke. But then this week it hit me. I was always typing and thinking and walking around the church like I do. I had to say, oh, hold on a second. There's a question that needs to be asked before we end this. There's actually a question behind the whole series. See, to be transformed, to be altered, to be changed for this kingdom revolution, for this kingdom renovation, for this heaven-shaped makeover, for this ongoing continual conversation and conversion to happen, we have to address something. Is there there a belief here among us in this church? Is there a lie sort of swimming and lurking underneath the surface of our lives? That becoming like Jesus is an option for us as Christians? 
Is Jesus' example and are these practices like a buffet that you get to go, well, I like the pad thai, not the butter chicken, so I taste this and not that? Is there this idea stirring in this church here and online that this whole summer has been like a menu offered to you and you get to choose what you want depending on taste, depending on life, depending on willingness, depending on gender, age, or stage? In other words, here's the question we must end with, which we begin with somewhat. Can you be a follower of Jesus Christ? Can you be a Christian and not be a disciple? Let this sit heavy in this room this morning. Can you be a Christian and not be a disciple? Can you, over time, show no signs of transformation? Can you say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not all in? Is this option or is this essence? Is this about the foundation of the whole house or is this the window dressings? I like coastal style. I don't like urban. Like, what is this? Is this how you dress up the house or is this the house itself? So I would like all of us this morning to turn, if you've got your Bible, virtually, physically, to a verse that many of us know well, I want you to turn to the book of Romans. Because I want to start at the beginning of inception when each one of us becomes followers of Jesus, if you are one. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Because this is the question that if we do not address it, will undermine everything that has been done this summer. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, by the way, if you've done church for years and you know it off by heart, this is not the time to disconnect. This is what Paul wrote. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. That's the gospel given right here. Since God has drawn near, since we now fully know who he is, understand what he is doing, we can now respond to him, be made right with him, and walk with him like we used to in Eden. So what must you do to know God? What must you do to be saved? He says, well, first of all, you must confess. Now, is confess or declare like magic? Well, I believe Jesus is Lord. Credit card, I'm in. No, no, no. Confession here means I genuinely believe what I'm declaring. This is the inward reality being spoken outward. So he says, well, what must you declare or confess? Jesus is, say it loud, what? Lord. Now, Lord means two things. Lord means God. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God in flesh. We as Christians believe in one God found in three persons, Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit, forever praised. Amen. And we say, amen. Jesus is Lord. We confess that Jesus is not just a prophet, not just a priest, not just a revolutionary. No, no. He's God in flesh. You want to know who God is? You look at Jesus Christ. He's the full package. Every Christian for 2,000 years has believed that. But not only is this a declaration of his identity, this is a declaration of his work in our life. He is Lord. He is King. He is Master. When you or I became Christians, we not only confessed his identity, we confessed that we were willing participants in his work in our life, which implies, ready, full ownership. We willingly and knowingly, consciously declare, I am a slave of Jesus Christ now, and he is is Lord. See, the idea of transformation, the idea of being loved, being owned and confirmed and and conformed to Jesus is not an option. It actually is the vow you say at the beginning of the wedding. This is the beginning of the conversation where you say, I want Jesus's will and work in my life. But this is actually the dividing point among many of us here. 
Again, listen to Dallas Willard's great wisdom. Little good, he says, results from insisting that Christ is also supposed to be Lord. To present his lordship as an option leaves it squarely in the category of white wall tires and stereo equipment for the new car you want to buy. And you can do without those things. If you present Jesus' lordship as an option, then you can say no to the option because it's an option. But see, to be a Christian is to be a follower. To be a follower is to be owned. To be owned is to be a disciple. Interesting, if you read your New Testament, Christian is only mentioned three times in the Bible. Two of them at least are insults. But the name or word disciple is used 269 times in the New Testament. They are the same thing in the minds of the writers, but we together in the West have divided them. I'm a Christian, yes, but discipleship, maybe not really, sort of, I'm unsure. But discipleship is actually what it means to be a Christian. When Jesus was walking around 2,000 years ago, there were tons of rabbis and teachers. Listen to this, please. And as they were walking, they would follow these teachers, and they would literally walk in the dust of the rabbi. They were that close. They wanted to be covered in the dust of their teacher. And they said, I want to know and imitate and become just like that person. I'm going to get so close to this teacher, I'm going to be covered in his dust as I walk behind him. And Jesus chooses, and the early church uses to use the word disciple to describe normal Christian life. So this is the question facing us today. Again, here's what another author wrote. For the last several decades in the church of the Western world, we have not made discipleship a condition of being a Christian. One is not required to be or intended to be a disciple in order to become a Christian. And one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress in or or connected to discipleship. Oh yeah, I raised my hand at a Billy Graham crusade. Yeah, when I was three, I said yes to Jesus, but I see no evidence in your life. No, no, but I'm still a Christian. Is that what Jesus taught? Is this what the kingdom of God really looks like? Think about Jesus' last words as he ascended into heaven. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus said, he came to his followers and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He says, you want to have this conversation? Let's have this conversation. I have authority to forgive sin. I have authority to reveal God fully because I am him. I have authority over death. I just was raised to life. I have authority over all principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities. Lucifer tried taking me down, lost that one. Thanks so much. He says, I have all authority. I have the right to be worshipped by all nations. I will be worshipped by all nations. And at the end of time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, whether they love me or not, that I am Lord. I have all authority. Do you understand this? And then he comes along and he says, now this is what I want you to do since you have met me. Since you know this is not just theology, but you've encountered the one behind the confession. He says, now I want you. Here's the command to the church. Go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, and I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, I want you to go and make disciples. Now watch this. Only disciples can make other disciples. Again, one wrote, vast numbers of converts today exercise the option permitted by the message they keep hearing in the church. They choose not to become, or at least do not choose to become, disciples of Jesus Christ. Churches are filled, everyone ready, with undiscipled disciples. 
Most problems in the contemporary church, including ours here at C4, can be explained by the fact that members have not yet decided to follow Jesus. Can I say that again? Many of the problems can be explained away in our church because many of the members of this church and many other members in other churches have not yet decided to actually follow Christ. But Jesus comes along and says, this is not an option. If you're a Christian, you're called to go and make what you already have decided to be and what you're becoming. And he says, and this is how you do it. You go and you baptize. Well, what is baptism? Baptism, like we say, is a wedding ring. It's the outward symbol of an inward agreement. And who are you baptized into? You're baptized into the Father who called and elected you. You're baptized into Jesus the Son who lived a perfect life for us, died for us. He rose from us. He prays for us right now. We are baptized into the Holy Spirit. He's in us. He empowers us. He lets us be like Christ. And he guarantees our resurrection. If you are baptized, you've got the wedding ring already on. And not only that, he says, and then you teach them everything I taught you. And he says, and, and help them obey it all. Do you see any wiggle room in that? I'm just asking. Anyone? All. Everything. He says, I want you to go and make disciples like you are a disciple. And I want you to begin over a lifetime to obey what I've commanded. See, this is the heart of the whole summer. This teaching is the lifelong process in which we as disciples become more like Jesus. And the hallmark of discipleship, everyone ready, is obedience. Oh yes, we're saved by grace alone. Make no mistake about it. And by grace we get to get saved. By grace we live a Christian life. By grace we get forgiven. By grace we have hope. But grace gives us the ability to say no to sin now. Grace allows us to have freedom. Grace allows us to participate in the disciplines was one German theologian who said this, the Christian stands not under the dictatorship of the legalistic you ought, but in the magnetic field of Christian freedom under the empowering of the you now may. So it should be no mistake that Jesus spent a ton of time asking people to count the cost before they followed him. Before all the practices, before confession and prayer and intercession and solitude and silence, before you start praying things like, oh God, your kingdom come, your, your will be done on earth in my life, in my family's life, in this church, in this region, as it is in heaven. Before we get to do any of that, Jesus would come and confront us. And I don't care how long any of us have been in church. Jesus would come to us lovingly, full of absolute agape love and holiness, and he would look every one of us in the eye, and he would say, do you really, really want me? And do you really want my kingdom? Turn to Luke 14. We don't usually flip, but we're going to flip today. Luke 14. Jesus, before the conversation about what it looks like to walk with God, this is what Jesus, meek and mild, said, Luke 14, 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, oh yes, his own life, he cannot be my what? Oh no, that was weak. He cannot be my what? And the word disciple is the word for Christian. You can't be a follower of Jesus unless you hate your mom, your dad, your kids, your brother, your sister. And oh, side note, you. And you're going, oh, what? 
He doesn't really mean that like that. Well, no, he's not saying you hate yourself and go into some nihilistic pit and never get... No, no. This is what Jesus is saying. If any person who, by the way, of great value is more valuable than him, you cannot be his disciple. You cannot love your husband or wife more than Jesus. You cannot be my disciple. You, listen, I got three kids. No, I cannot love Hannah, Emma, or Noah more than Jesus Christ. I can't be his disciple. You can't love your family, friends. You can't even love your own life, dreams, ambitions. All of these things you notice are not evil. These are all gifts from God. But Jesus says, if they are idols, you cannot be my disciple. And he looks at this large crowd that will begin to windle very quickly. And he says, do you really, really understand that if you want the kingdom, you want the king? And I'm the king, and I, by the way, am your creator. And oh, how I love you. And oh, how I've given you moms and dads and brothers and sisters and kids. But let me tell you, I will not be supplanted by what I've given you. Are you willing to put all of that less than me? You cannot be my disciple. Oh, but I'm a Christian. No, you're not. Jesus continues with the crowd and says these words. He says, anyone who does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He looks around and he says to his original audience, we've all seen crucifixions. And he says, look, We've all seen them en masse. And don't you understand, if you're not willing to carry your cross, in other words, if you are not willing to sacrifice all that is good or evil or in between neutral of value to you and put them underneath my lordship, you cannot be my disciple. To walk with Jesus is to be fully owned by Jesus. It's saying, well, my family, my inner circle, my DNA, my experiences, they all now become second to Jesus. And, and Jesus brilliantly uses the idea of the cross to bring it home. He says, well, let me just be honest. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, verse 28. Would he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him by saying, well, this fellow, he began building but was not able to finish. Or suppose a king was about to go to war against another king. Would he not first sit down and consider whether he was able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming with 20,000? If he is not able, would he not send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace? Jesus says, you want to understand the kingdom of God? You want to understand what's really taking place? You want to understand what the heart of the Christian movement is, full of love and grace? Let me tell you, you must count the cost before you say yes. Because some of you may say, I don't want this. That cost is too much. That mortgage is too high. I can't afford that. You don't understand. I love my family. And Jesus says, I'm so glad. Oh, how we need more families loving each other. But at the expense of me? And then not only does he ask you to count the cost, he does something to every person in this room and online. He actually forces us into a godly corner because he says, the second example he says is, look, if a greater army is coming, would you not want to make peace? And here's the implication. Don't you understand? I am coming. Are you sure you don't want peace with me? Oh, how I love you. And yet, what you decide in this life ripples into eternity. Do you want peace with the true king that is coming? Verse 33, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything can't be my disciple. 
This is a call to say yes. Yes, is there process connected to it? Of course. But this is saying, well, Jesus, what goes and what stays and what do you say and what do you want? And and what's your will for me? And what will you allow me to have? And what won't you allow me to have? I mean, I know you're God and I know, here it is. I know you're grace-filled and I know you're gentle and I know you're humble and I know you're good and your yoke is better than any other yoke I've had. So what do you say now? Not what do I say? What does my family say? What do my parents say? What does my education say? What does my experiences say? What does my worldview say? No, no, what do you say? It's the great philosopher G.K. Chesterton that wrote, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. Here's the point. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. And if you're a disciple, then you've already welcomed his love, healing, freedom, lordship, and ownership. The role of the spiritual disciplines, let me connect this for all of us, the role of the spiritual practices is to walk with Jesus after you have counted the cost and after you've said yes, after you've said Jesus is worth it, his rule is worth it, his kingdom is worth it, his reign and rule is more significant and important and welcome. I want more of this thing that's coming in the future into the now. And whatever I have to give up, though it's difficult, it is worth it because Jesus Jesus is better than anything I could have in this world. Do you, do you believe it, though? See, after you're a disciple, then, then and only then does all this make sense. If you want to see the heartbeat of one who is a disciple who has not arrived yet, But practice the disciplines. You want to see the intensity and the passion and the kingdom focus. Just turn to Philippians 3. Look at Paul's life just for a moment. Because he had counted the cost. And hear these words that you've heard preached, many of you before, through the lens of the word disciple. Paul said in in Philippians 3.10, look. Oh, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Was Paul saved? Yes. Paul knew Jesus more than probably anyone sitting in this room knew. And what does he say? I want to know Jesus more today than I did yesterday. I want to keep knowing. I want an ever-deepening walk. This is what normal Christianity looks like. Even if you don't feel like it, it still becomes our confessional cry. And then Paul quickly says, but I have not arrived. Verse 12, I haven't obtained all this or have already arrived at the goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold on to me. Listen, he'd say, I haven't arrived. I haven't obtained. I'm not perfect. And by the way, I won't be perfect till Jesus comes back. But he says, look, I am desperate for the not yet to keep coming into the now. And he says, I press on and I take hold. When I was preaching this passage to our young adults, I reminded them that these are two Greek metaphors. That The press on is an athletic metaphor in Greek saying every nerve ending in my body is being utilized to meet and move towards the end. 
They take hold when was used by military commanders. When one army was running for their life and the other army was pursuing it, that idea is pursuing to overcome. Paul says, I, every fiber of my being, everything that I am is pressing on to know Christ. And he'd say to us this morning, why do I live for Jesus? Why do I have joy in Jesus? Why do I suffer for Jesus? Why do I give things up for Jesus? Why do I use the practices to have rhythm with God himself? Because, oh, Jesus took hold of me. Don't miss this this morning, please. Even on this long way, please. If Paul was standing here today, he would say, don't you get it? Jesus came for me when I was spiritually dead. And I didn't love him, and he loved me. And when I hated him, he came for me. And when I hated his followers, he came for me. And when I lived my life and thought I was just so fine because I was so intellectual and so moral and so religiously oriented, I trusted in everything. And at that moment where I thought I was in, in heaven, I was really in hell, and he came for me. Jesus came, and he grabbed me. And because he said yes to me, I've said yes to him. Brothers and sisters, verse 13, I don't consider myself yet to take hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I'm straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says, I will not allow my past to own me anymore. Shame is conquered. Guilt is conquered. Death is conquered. Sin is conquered. I am rooted in Jesus and he has made me clean. He says, that is the starting point for my yes. And then he says, I will not also rely on, listen closely, my Christian history that happened yesterday. I will not live my life as a disciple relying on what God did yesterday or a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago. There is no time for retirement in our movement and there is no time for the golden age that we swan. Oh, do you remember those days? Praise God for those days. Those days are over. New manna today. What are you saying, Jesus, right now? He says, I will not let my sinful history nor my righteous history stop the work of God. And he says in verse 17, so you join together in following my example. Brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. He says, I'm following Jesus, and I'm not there yet, but you follow my example. See, I'm yoked to Jesus, Paul says, as Jesus was yoked to the Father, so you use me as the example. And this is the whole summer right here. Everyone ready? Take note of my walk, because I'm walking as a reflection of the one who's called me. Paul says, I want the transformation. I do. Even in my old age, I want it. I want the ongoing alteration, ongoing conversion. Follow me in my teachings and my life. See, as one said, the New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples of Jesus only. The summer series ends with simple words. And here they are. The spiritual practices, if you are a Christian, are the guaranteed place of ongoing transformation after you've counted the cost. The spiritual disciplines are the guaranteed place you get to keep meeting with the lover of our souls to look more like him. 
Spiritual gifts are the place that we serve the church in the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. But you have to count the cost. And here is the terrifying thing. And this is why I had to preach this message. It doesn't matter if you've been in this church for 40 years. It doesn't matter if you've been in the church for a day. It doesn't matter. Some of you have been, this is your first time at church. You're like, oh my goodness, fire hose. It's going to be okay. But listen, please. You only get to participate in the kingdom of God and the reign and rule of God and what is coming in the future and the now after you count the cost. You cannot, you cannot be a Christian and not be a disciple. You cannot say he is my savior and not my Lord. There is no raising of the fist anymore. That happened in Eden and we're done with that. This is an invitation by God in a poignant, kind, and direct way for every person in this room, every person online, to ask themselves the question, am I a disciple of Jesus, or do I even want to be a disciple of Jesus? Before we do anything else in this church, that is the question each person must decide. This is a moment where some of you go, I'm not. This is others of you who go, barely. Others who say yes. And others who say no. But this whole series, all summer, is a loving relational invitation after you stop believing that this is all an option. God comes and says to us this morning, by his word and by his spirit, Do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not know that to be a Christian, you must be a disciple? And the Lordship of Jesus is welcomed, involved, and ready. We pray for renewal in this church a lot. We're we're asking God for a revival that touches every person in our church. We're praying for an awakening where thousands of people meet Jesus supernaturally across our region. But this is what we're praying for, right? Right? that we would go and make disciples of Jesus. For we who are disciples, no matter who we are, what state we're in, I want to remind you that all summer, this has been an invitation to be transformed over a lifetime. And all the practices must be done under the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, don't try pulling up your own bootstraps. You will fail. But when we place ourselves before the God that called us first, we will be transformed. And transformation brings freedom and life and life in the full. So I end this series with the words of Jesus' closest friend while he was on earth, John, who wrote these words that sum it up so well in 1 John 5.1. Would you listen to them carefully? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. In other words, if you love the God, you, you will love Jesus. This is how we know that we're loved that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. Let me say that again. His commands are not burdensome. My question to end is this. What do you do with Jesus Christ? 
We do not want a church full of converts or Christians, sort of. We are looking for a movement of disciples. Do you say yes to him or no to him? It's for something actually you'd not even maybe decide right now. It could be a wrestling match. And for the rest of us, would you pray this prayer with me? Where we would ask God to meet us in our times of the spiritual practices to become what we already are. So, Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit, some among us, some online are watching and have realized that we are not disciples at all. Others of us have been convinced for years and we're not sure now. I would pray in Jesus' name that the evil one in our own heart and others, uh, if we are disciples, could not lie to us and say that we're not if we are. But Holy Spirit, I ask for heaven-given conviction if people are not disciples of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would lead them to become real disciples. I pray that you'd actually, real prayer, and this is actually for some people here today, God, give some people humility to be able to stand in their families or among their peers and say, actually, all this time, I was not one of you. May you give great humility so life can come. And for the rest of us, Lord Jesus, I pray you'd lead us into alteration and freedom, transformation. Help us by the Holy Spirit to do the practices and meet us, Lord. Transform us. Meet us as we meet with you. Oh, how we need your love and your hope and your grace as we live in this very difficult world. Meet us, Lord, in our new rhythm of the spiritual practices. Thank you, Lord, that you came for us first. We do really do love you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said... Amen.